Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. It's the unlimited riches of his glory and his grace. The unlimited riches of his glory and his grace. The unlimited riches of his glory and his grace. Just think if you just had another glimmer of that unlimited riches, how much further along you'd be. See, you got to press in. You got to press in. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more than what you're experiencing. There's more than what you have. There's more than what you're doing. There's more, more, more unlimited riches of his glory and his grace that resides inside of you. Hallelujah. 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 We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name forevermore. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. See, if there's no end to his glory and his grace, then there's no end to what we could walk in. Not only in the age to come, but right here, right now in this age. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, just think about what Jesus said. There is not one person that has ever given up everything for the kingdom that shall not receive back a hundredfold into their life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Given up everything for the kingdom and received back 100-fold. Now, what we've given up for the kingdom is probably within the realm of our understanding. But the more you understand, the more you can press in and the more that you give up, the more you take hold. Yes. That tells me that there's only one thing in the way of my advancements in the kingdom. Me. Me. I must increase. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. No matter how good it is, it can be gooder. God is a good God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, we had some great meetings in Miami. We were there uh, Friday, all day Friday, was uh, ICFM, Dr. Dan's district meeting. They had three speakers in the morning, and I was honored to be the speaker in the evening. Powerful time in the Word of God. Had over 50 people came to his district meeting. Great turnout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I would say that the house was in an uproar. They were going absolutely wild over what they were hearing. Amen. Amen. See, because when you've heard it, and maybe you've heard it again, you can't help but get stirred up. You get excited over what you hear. Excited over what yes. you hear. Glory to God. <laughs> Praise God. And of course, when you go someplace to speak like that, the anointing is different than it would be here. You know, because it's a different group of people, different operations of the Spirit, different things that need to be done. And, uh, excuse me, leading different people. And it was a room full of ministers. So, praise God. 
We know that there were things that God shared with them that could really change their lives, change their ministries, affect the people that they touch. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. God is good. We sold about 10 of the Building the Bridge books and 10 of the financial books. So they were excited to get a hold of that, get that into their heart, get it into their lives. Amen. And I just feel like I just need to tell you this, but, you know, every time we sell a book, I don't get a, a penny out of it. It all goes into the church. Any book that I've ever written, we sell books and all, it all goes into the church, goes into the ministry. It's not mine. That's right. I have a salary, and no matter how much I do or how little I do. I still haven't found the little, but I keep looking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've been over here for at least a week, maybe two. I don't really remember. Things run together after a while. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Now, Father, we just set ourselves right now to hear from heaven, to hear from your Holy Spirit. Father, we open up our eyes to perceive. We open up our ears, spiritual ears, to hear. And Father, that we would take hold of the impartations of revelation that the Spirit of God will bring on his anointing on the word so that we can take hold of what it is you're declaring to us today, that our life will continually step further into increase in life, bearing a fruit in our life, living a life pleasing to the Father as we continue to bear fruit within our life, the fruit of character, Father, developing and growing on the inside of us. And that fruit of character, Father, coming from us and touching our everyday lives and those that are around us. So, Father, we thank you for it and bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm glad that you all are here today. If you're on live stream, thanks for being with us today. Uh, some of you, um, I don't know if you're traveling, going someplace for the holidays, but live stream's always available, and we're glad that you could connect with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh or they're not carnal. They are divinely powerful. You know, Ephesians chapter, three, uh, chapter 6 tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then he tells us about the armor that we should put on. You know, you should put on the armor in every circumstance. When you get to the place to where you live with the armor on, yeah. now you've gotten a lifestyle. Thank you, Jesus. And you don't walk with it on just because you're a believer. He was talking to believers when he wrote the book of Ephesians, and he said, put on. It's something you have to put on all the time. Amen. Leave it on, sleep with it on, keep it on. Amen. Divinely powerful weapons, not of the flesh. So we talked about the destruction of strongholds, and uh, we talked about that it was pulling down 
those strongholds or fortresses. And it was used about strong points of arguments in which one trusts. You know, we all have what we say arguments or thought patterns in which we trust. Isn't that right? And hopefully those thought patterns will come up to the wall of the Word of God. And we have to make a decision and a choice of whether those thought patterns are right or not right. Isn't that right? So we are pulling down those fortresses and strongholds and we are destroying and demolishing, which is an intensive word. And it means to actually grab it and cast down continuously speculations or imaginations. And it is a reckoning, a calculation, a consideration, and a reflection. We all calculate, we all reckon, we all consider, and we all reflect. Isn't that right? The classical Greek writers use this Greek word about the consideration and reflection that is in us preceding and determining our conduct. Now, sometimes those, those uh, uh, reckonings and considerations and calculations happen so fast we don't realize it. We call it an automatic response. But is the automatic response right? And nothing gets changed until we finally decide to examine our responses in life. Or allow the Holy Spirit to shake our tree and let us know when those responses aren't right. But then, of course, you have to listen to the shaking. So it's important that we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and allow him to show us, speak to us, actually take the word and put it in our face. You know, I don't know about you, but I've had times where I would have automatic responses to something and I would hear this. What are you doing? I mean, it would be loud. What are you doing? I remember one time driving down the road. I was in my Navigator. Big vehicle has those mirrors out front and some snot-nosed teenager that I could have just got up and slapped because he reminded me so much of me. And I'm driving down the road, and they got, got off the bus, and this teenager just walks across the road just real slow, like, you're just going to have to wait for me. Well, that ticks me off. And I drove my Navigator, and I moved it a little bit so that the mirror could pop him right in the head. And just before the mirror popped him in the head, I heard it. What are you doing? Like, mm. Okay. Wrong response. And I had to repent. But you know, responses aren't always that obvious. So many of our responses are covered under the heading of tradition. It's the way it's always been. It's the way I was taught to. Pastor Nid, I think, talked about that in 930 service, about the way she was brought up and trained. This is the way you do things. But when you get in the Word, you realize... No, it's not the way you do things. Amen. So what we want to talk to you today about, I'm sorry, what the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about today is controlling carnal thinking. Controlling carnal. You will never do away with carnal thinking. As long as you're in this world, thoughts will be coming at you, all kinds of things, TV, uh, whatever, you know, you, you hear stuff, radio, even driving down the road and there's billboards, being around other people, you hear other things. So carnal thoughts, 
You will never be able to stop carnal thoughts, but you must control them. You must control carnal thoughts so that you don't wind up with carnal thinking. Amen. And if we learn to control carnal thoughts, we'll get rid of the carnal thinking that we have. That we have. That would be an amen. Yes, pastor, we do. I know you don't want to admit to it, but you know it and I know it. God knows it. More importantly, the devil knows it. You know, it's amazing how many things we don't really want to change in life. Well, things are always good. But yet we've talked about this for many, many years about the buttons. The devil comes to push those buttons. Well, what is that button? It's the thing you refuse to change. It's the thing you don't want to hear about. It's just the way it's always been, the way daddy did it, the way I've done it all my life. That's what they taught. This is life. This is life. When actually we don't really have the slightest idea of what life is. Even as a believer, we don't have the slightest idea of what life. Right on the other side of where you're at is the power of God. Right on the other side of you is your answer. And as long as we're stuck in us, we never get ahead in life, never advance in the things that we need to advance in. Why? Because we have considerations and reflections that proceed and determine what our conduct is what the words are that we speak. Are you with me? So one of the, the, the weapons is to be girded in truth, which means you walk in the truth, okay? Now, although it does include this, it does not mean walking in honesty or walking in integrity. Well, I'm just an honest person. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the truth of the word of God. The word is a light to your path and a lamp to your feet. That when I'm taking a step, I know what the word of God says, and I'm walking in the word. And I'm doing it not just in this circumstance, but I'm looking for it to become an everyday part of my life. That I walk in what the word of God says. Whatever I face, whatever I deal with, whatever's come, whatever thought comes to me, I know what the word of God says, and I know whether I should take that or not. Girded in the truth. So if we're to be girded in the truth, what should our considerations be? What should our calculations be? What should we reckon? What should we do regularly? Be thinking, considering, and reflecting on what? The word word of God. Well, how much can I do that? I don't know. How much do you breathe? How much change do you want in your life? Or maybe you're happy with 10% of God in your life. Well, I have more than 10% of God in my life. Well, who told you that? That's your only, that's your self-evaluation. You know, I don't know, do you ever have, uh, ever work someplace where they made an evaluation on your work? You you know, your self-evaluation is always better than what they would have said. Always. The first time we did an evaluation as, as a staff some years ago when we had other people on staff, we started doing evaluations. And the first evaluation, this one person, I gave him a 90%. They were upset. They thought it should have been 100. Because our evaluation is always better. So we're not talking about self-evaluation here. This is about opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit and letting him tell you where it's at. That your 90% evaluation may only be 10%. Not saying it is, just saying. If we're supposed to be walking in the outward working and practical righteousness, if we're supposed to be walking in peace, 
based on the Word of God. The Word of God brings stability into our life. Then what should I be reckoning, calculating, and considering? If I'm supposed to have a shield of faith up all the time, a helmet of salvation, of renewed mind, having a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in my heart and in my mouth, what should I be considering and reckoning at all times? The Word of God. Amen. As long as it's now, we should be considering what the Word of God says. Divine weapons are the armor of God. They're not carnal methods. And they are mighty to demolish. And I know a lot of times we think, well, I don't know how mighty that can be. I mean, I can do things better. You know, I used to think that way when I got saved, you know, and I found out, and I really hated to find this verse. But the Bible said, the Lord said, revenge, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm like, I don't want it to be yours. I want it to be mine. I like getting revenge. Well, it said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I would have to be like, okay, God, you said vengeance is yours, so I'm going to let it be yours. But, you know, could you hurry it up a little bit? Like, I want to see it now. <laughs> no, his methods are divinely powerful and able to demolish, destroy, and pull down. Philippians chapter 2 This is talking about Jesus, verses 6 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, although, talking about Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, he was the form of God because he was God. He, He was in that form, right? He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped because he was already equal with God. He was God. But he emptied himself, emptied his equality, emptied his form, and took on himself the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, comma, obedient to the point of death, comma, even obedient to death on a cross. This is the way that should be written. Jesus humbled himself, all right? That doesn't mean Jesus walked around like a really mealy-mouthed person. I can't look at you. I'm just so humble. That's not the nonsense he's talking about because that's nonsense. It means that he gave up his privileges and his rights as deity and humbled himself by walking like a man. You understand when he took on that flesh, he could not get around in the earth unless it was one step in front of another. What a humble position he's living in now when he was God he lived as God he's he's God but now he's humbled himself to come and live just like we under the pressures of the world system under the persecutions of man the afflictions of circumstances and walk just one step in front of another he humbled himself he was in a humble state because he was humbled himself before the father in total obedience I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. That was it. He never had his own thought, his own attitude, his own opinion, or his own desire being fulfilled. He lived only for what the Father said and did. Isn't that right? He did that all the way to death on a cross. My goodness. And yet, we can look at this 
because the natural carnal man thinks Jesus is weak. But yet this was a powerful, mighty weapon in God's hand to destroy creation's greatest enemy, which is Satan. Nobody would ever think this is the way you bring down the enemy. You know, what did Israel, what did the children of Israel want from Jesus? Are we going to come up now against Rome? Are we going to get our nation back again? See, they're all thinking carnal. But Jesus is like, nope, I'm here to shed my blood and bring your enemy to naught. Amen. See, because the carnal way is to overpower, dominate, manipulate, or outmaneuver. That's the carnal way of doing things. The spiritual way, Jesus' way, is to humble ourselves before God, die to our own self, and let God show his resurrection power through us. Not just to us, but through us. The resurrection power of God is not designed to operate just for you. It's designed to operate through you. Amen. Resurrection power. And that's why it talks about those that have tasted of the power of the age to come, and then they fall back. That there's no chance of repentance. Walking in that resurrection power. When was the last time we cried out to God? When was the last time we meditated on the word of God for the Holy Spirit to move through us? We usually meditate on the word of God and cry out to God for something I need. But what about what he needs? He needs you to be in a position for his power to move through you and touch somebody else's life. Just like your life got touched. Just like my life got touched. Isn't that right? Amen. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Therefore, we cannot resist or fight or battle with carnal weapons. Won't work. Our spiritual weapons are scorned by the world. The world scorns spiritual weapons. Why? Because spiritual weapons are feared by demonic powers. You see the same old garbage going on today. You hear it on TV. They're all yapping, yapping, screaming about all this other nonsense. That's because they're scared. The devil is scared. You know, you can't fall for that nonsense. You know, they're, they're talking about a ceasefire. Oh, Israel needs a ceasefire. You know, well, why? Because they're afraid. Israel's out to destroy them, which they should. But they're scared, so they're calling for a ceasefire. And then our illustrious leaders, no, we don't want a ceasefire. We're just going to have a pause. What's the difference? Are you stu- Do you think we're that stupid? Are we that stupid that we don't know the difference between a pause and a ceasefire? Ceasefire doesn't mean never-ending fire. It means you take a break from firing. That's called a, a pause. Supposedly, we don't know the difference because, you know, they change the usage of words, you know, and we don't care. We'll tell them to their face they're an idiot. Hallelujah. When we fight with true spiritual weapons, 
There is no principality or power that can stand against you. There's none. They might resist. They try to obstruct, but they can't stop you if you'll just continue to move on with those spiritual weapons. Amen. So back in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, again, he talked about destroying, pulling down, uh, destroying uh, fortresses. Okay. Again, it's any strong point or argument in which one trusts. So these can be points of doctrine that are contrary or contradicts the truth of the Word of God. You know, you could pull anything out of the Word of God and say, well, this is what the Word says. But does it line up with the nature of God and the fullness of the Word of God? For instance, I've had somebody tell me that Job, you know, Job was attacked because God brought all this upon him. Because it tells you in the last chapter, his family got together with Job to console him about the evil that God brought upon Job. So therefore, that means that God is the one that brought evil upon him. And therefore, my doctrine is, is that God will bring evil on you as well as bring good on you, whatever he wants to do, and you have no say-so in it. And yet, that's not the way it's written in the Hebrew. When you start, you got to look at Hebrew words. you got to look at tenses, moods, and everything else. And the way that it's written in the uh, Hebrew, this particular mood called the causative mood, but this particular causative mood means that God brought the evil upon Job or God allowed the evil to come upon Job because Job had something to do with opening the door to that evil. And we all know the book of Job and we know it was all about fear. Fear opened the door. Why do you think Satan came to God and said, does Job fear God for another? Satan's not an idiot. People he uses are idiots, but Satan's not an idiot. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what words to say. Because if he came to God and say, does Job fear God for nothing? And God said, no, he doesn't. That had been sin. And that had been the end of heaven. But God never brought up Job's weakness. He says, my servant Job, upright, blameless, fears God, turns away from evil. And God will only speak faith over you. When you hear, when you hear uh, uh, thoughts that are putting you down, and stuff, that is not God. That's the enemy talking to you. That's right. God will speak faith over you. Amen. Because he knows the thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. So we can have point of doctrines that contradict the truth of God's word. We might have misunderstandings or something wrongly interpreted that bears no fruit or results in our life, but bless God, this is what I believe. I've never seen any results. I've never seen any increase. I've never seen any change. I've never, never seen any steps forward, but bless God, this is what I believe. Okay. There's always that chance, you know, that you could be wrong. There's always that chance. Just say it. But it's something that when we are faced with truth, then we hold to what we think and denounce any opposition to our ideas. Well, this is what I believe, and that's your interpretation of the word, and that's, you know, I, I, I reject that. Well, it's not an interpretation of the word when you actually read what the word says in yeah. the original languages and the tenses and, and all this other stuff. Now, I understand commentaries are pretty much opinionated. 
And, and you know, people that write commentaries, they're going to write a con commentary based on what doctrine and faith that they come from. Because right. it's opinions. Yeah, right. But when you start getting into original languages and you start understanding Greek and Hebrew and, and understanding tenses and moods and, and, um, and all of these things and you see how things are actually written, then there's no denying what the Word of God says. Jesus didn't speak English. He didn't even speak King James English. I know people think that's God's Bible, King James. He didn't speak King James, the King's English. He spoke Greek. And guess what? Who did, the who did, who did uh, Jesus go to when he was here on the earth? The Jews. So what do you think he spoke to the Jews? How about that? Now, a lot of the Jews then, of course, spoke Greek because Greek was the world language at that time. But you understand what I'm saying. You have to know what the Word of God says. And I've gone into languages, and I've gone into moods and tenses and, and all this other stuff and shown what the Word of God says, but then it's like, nope, this is what I believe. Okay. I talked to a man one time about prosperity and told him about what the Word of God said about prosperity. He said, I don't believe in prosperity. I'm like, fine. And then he went out of business. I mean, if you don't want to believe it, that's fine. It's your life. I, you know, no sweat off my nose. Not that I don't care. I don't want you to think I don't care. I do care. But even Jesus didn't waste his time with people that wouldn't believe. You done sown the seed, and now it's up to the them and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. It's taught, has been taught in some churches that there's no need to repent. Wow. Yeah, you don't need to repent because Jesus bore all your sin, so you don't need to repent. Jesus has already paid the price for it. Or you're a spirit being, and I've heard this one too. You're a spirit being, and your spirit never sins, and since you are a spirit being, you never sin. And if you never sin, then you don't ever have to repent. Well, it's not me that sins, it's flesh in me. Who owns that flesh? Who's the owner of that flesh? You know, that's like saying, you know, I have a dog, and the dog goes out and bites somebody, and the people want to sue me, and I go, I didn't bite you. What are you suing me for? Well, who owns the dog? Well, who owns the flesh that you walk in? You're some, you know, you became a new creature so that you can now take control of your flesh. You can renew your mind, change the way you think, and take control in your life. And don't go around biting people. <laughs> Divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, which is also defined as a stronghold. It's about something that's fortified in our thinking. So let's take a quick run over to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, and let's read verses 10 and 11. Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. So the rich man may be so convinced that his wealth is his protection, that it's a tower of strength in his life, but it's only in his imagination. 
In other words, it's an idol that he refuses to let go of. You know, you got to be careful of having idols in your life. What we think, our own thoughts, our own ideas, our perceptions of stuff in our own mind can be an idol that we worship. And we won't give it up for anything, even the truth. I don't care what the truth says. I don't care what you say about the Bible. This is what I was taught, and this is what I believe. Idol. It's an idol. And then you justify why you believe what you believe and why you won't take hold of the word. You're a hearer of the word, not a doer, justifying your own position. And you think you know it, but you've deceived yourself. And what do we do? We bow down in the chambers of our mind before the great throne of our own thoughts. It's called a stronghold. That's a stronghold. Button. 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 Devil got a button to push in your life. Traditions makes the word of God of no effect. Now I'm not talking about Thanksgiving traditions, Christmas traditions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the traditions in your own mind that you've set up and refused to change and let go of. And that's sad because that changes the doorway into a better life. But why do people not want to change? A lot of times they're afraid. Well, this has always worked for me. But now you're faced with truth. And now that you're faced with truth and you refuse the truth, that means the thing you always held on to isn't going to work anymore. Verse 5. Oh, where are we? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. <laughs> he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. All right, destroying speculations can also be imaginations. And both words are defined by the same Greek word. And it means wrong thoughts, wrong perceptions, manipulating the word of God to ease our own conscience and do what we want to do. But yet it's contrary to the word of God and the nature of God. You know, it's so important to know the nature of God. How do you know that God didn't bring evil upon Job? Because God's good. He's always good. There's no, there's no shifting shadow. There's no variance with God. He's good. Yeah, well, he was doing that for, for Job's own good. And you, No, no. If, if God lived in this day today and did just half of the things that man accuses him, he'd be locked up. He'd be locked up as being a lunatic or he'd be locked up as a serial killer. But God don't do those things. God is good. And you have to know the nature of God. When I first got saved, within the first few services of being in church, we came across that verse in James. Every good thing and every perfect thing comes down from God with whom there is no variance or shifting shadow. God is good. Let no man say. Let no person ever say. Never let this come out of your mouth. That when you are tempted, when you are tested, or when you are tried, that you're being tempted, tested, or tried by God. For God cannot be tempted, tested, or tried by evil, and neither does he tempt, test, or try any man with evil. 
And the word evil includes sickness and things that can injure you. It doesn't matter if it's the Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew, Greek. It's all defined the same. It's anything that comes against you to bring wrong into your life. Let no man say. And yet there are churches filled with people that always say. Are you with me? And what is that? Wrong thoughts. Wrong perceptions. It goes against the nature of God. You know, one of the biggest things that I hear in the body of Christ is it's okay to drink. Well, I could drink. It's okay to drink. Yeah, as long as I don't get drunk. So where's your line of being drunk? Is it that you have to fall on the floor and pass out? Is it that you stumble a little when you walk? Is it that you, ooh, I feel a little tipsy? Where is it? Where is your point? Well, they, they, they drank wine in the Bible. Not the wine they have today. The wine they have today is what the Bible calls strong drink. And alcohol today is boom, over the top. The wine they drank back in those days was so diluted. It wasn't like wine today. When, when, when Bathsheba talked to Solomon in Proverbs 31 and said that strong drink is not for a king, she's talking about wine, Chardonnay, wine that you have today. This is the strong drink from back then. Now some of you have to deal with that. I decided a long time ago, I'm a king under the king, and alcohol is not for me. Why? Because I came out of a life of alcohol and drugs. I know what that stuff will do to you. And I even made a decision after getting saved, I'm just going to go to this Christmas party, and I'm going to have a few drinks with the guys, and then I'm going to be able to talk to them about Jesus. Right? There's a way that seems right to a man. That wasn't right. Well, I had a few drinks with everybody, and boom, all of a sudden the door shut down, and there was no way I could access into the things of the Spirit. I knew I was a body, I knew I was a soul, but no access into the things of the Spirit. And I said at that point, if I lose the influence of the Holy Spirit over a couple of drinks, I will never drink again. Now, some people say, well, I drink, but I just don't lose the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, then I would question what influence you had to begin with. I'm just telling you. I would question that. I know people say things like, well, I can be saved and be a homosexual. Well, then how saved are you and how much of the truth do you have? And we use a lot of things to excuse away what we want to do. You know, there used to be, a, I don't know if there still is, but there was a church in Fort Myers, homosexual church. Opened the door to all homosexuals, and then they tore out of Romans chapter 1 and said that was a cultural thing. That don't apply today. When yet Romans chapter 1 tells you all about homosexual living. Don't shout me down. Are you with me? The reliance on carnal methods 
and the habit of carnal thinking is a true stronghold. Just the fact that we go in that direction is a stronghold. This carnal method, carnal thinking, stubbornly sets down deep roots in our heart and in our mind, and it colors all of our actions and our thinking. And it's hard to let go of the thinking because of the values of the world. But God's power can really break down these strongholds and imaginations if you open up to it. Don't be like he talked to those people when he told them the parable of the sower and he told his disciples, these people see, but they don't perceive. They have ears, but they cannot hear and their heart is dull. Because the hearing and the seeing is of the spirit, not of the natural will. It's not these eyes here. These eyes can go blind and you can see all kinds of things in the spirit. These ears can go deaf and you can hear all kinds of things from the spirit. It's about keeping your heart open. Amen. And to keep our heart open, we have to receive from the word of God, even when it brings correction. Even when it goes against what I think. Even when it goes against the thing I absolutely loathe. We all have imaginations. They ain't all good. But we all have them, don't we? So then Paul tells them to pull these imaginations down by the word of God in your mouth. Go to Psalm 45 verse 1, rather than me just reading it to you. Psalm 45, verse 1. He said, my heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Well, A lot of people say things like, well, I just don't speak the word out. I just kind of speak it on the inside. You know why? Because your heart's not overflowing. See, when your heart overflows, you address your verses to the king. And your tongue is the pen of a ready writer. God uses our tongue to write things on our heart. You know, he said in the book of Ezekiel, I will take out of you the stony heart and put a heart of flesh in you, which is a soft, pliable heart. Well, how is he going to write on that heart? Your mouth. You take in the word of God and you start speaking that word to yourself and it gets written into your heart. And then those things that are in our heart now as a king, because I am a king. And the Bible says where there is a king, there is authority. So as a king... Under the king of kings, as a king now, I can write decrees against my enemy with my tongue. It's the pen of a ready writer. I sign that decree. Satan, you have no place in my life because Jesus bore my sicknesses and diseases, and I sign that with my pen. Satan, you have no right over my finances. I am a tither, and you as the devourer are rebuked on my behalf, and I write that decree with my tongue. But you don't do any of that if your heart's not overflowing. The Bible says confession is made unto salvation, not thinking. Amen. 
pulling down imaginations with the pen of your tongue. Glory to God. See, when you start writing different things in your heart, you'll start thinking different things. So again, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, whatever the last verse we were in, 5. Destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Every lofty thing, every lofty thought, mm -hmm. every lofty em emotion, every lofty imagination, every lofty symptom, mm -hmm. every lofty feeling of hopelessness, every lofty feeling of discouragement or disappointment, every lofty feeling of anger or evil passion, any lofty feeling of evil desires or immorality, every lofty feeling of greed, and so on and so on and so on. The things of the world, deeds of the flesh, raised up, all carnal thinking, taking every thought captive. All of these lofty things want to debate with you and say that their way is better than God's way. You'll never get anywhere by you'll never get anywhere as by being a giver. You got you got to start getting. You got to start hoarding. You got to start keeping. Don't let it go. Hold on to it tight. Why? Because it's a stronghold of protection in your own imagination. I can't let go of this money. I need this money. You know, I don't know how much I'm going to have to live on. Imagination. You have no idea what you can live on until you start giving it. That's right. That's right. But that's got to be a revelation to you. Are you with me? All of these things, thank you, Jesus, all this carnal thinking wants to debate with us and say their way is better. It's like the monkey with his hand in the cage. You know that story? Over in Australia, this is the way they would catch monkeys. They would get a cage and they'd put a banana in the cage. And the monkey would put his hand into the cage and grab that banana. Now the banana holding in the monkey's hand can't get it out of the cage, can't get it out from the bars of the cage. So the natives would come out and they have clubs and stuff and the monkey would start screaming and screaming and screaming. But then natives would come and beat that monkey to death to have something to eat the monkey would not let go of that banana, even though it was going to cost him his life. And that's the way we as people are. I don't let go of the way I think. I'm not going to let go of my ideas. I'm not going to let go of the emotions that I have. I'm not going to let go of the way it's always been in my traditions. I know. I know better. I know what's right. Do you? Monkey. Get your hand out of the cage, monkey. We did a teaching on that some years ago. Get your hand out of the cage, monkey. Let go of the banana. Get your hand out. Save your life. Amen. These lofty thoughts and emotions and imaginations think of themselves as being smarter and more sophisticated and more effective and more powerful than God's ways. Carnal, worldly minds think they know more than what God does because they won't let go of it. These carnal, worldly thinking, thoughts, emotions want to convince us 
that it's true. We know better. That stuff's not right. You can't believe everything you... I'll read the Bible, but everything he says is just his opinion. Okay. It's up to you. Oh, wait a minute. Sweat's not jumping off my nose. Are you with me? Now, who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to the church of Corinth, which makes them Christians. So guess what? Christians were the ones with the strongholds in their minds and in their hearts. He's not talking to the world here. He's talking to Christians. People think, well, I'm saved and, and I'm good. You ain't good. You're <laughs> saved. You're just saved. The, in fact, the Bible says that as the righteous, you're just saved by the seat of your pants. You're barely saved, the Bible says. So therefore, what hope is there for the sinner and for the ungodly? You're barely saved. Stop thinking so much of ourselves. We're barely saved. It was only by the mercy of God. Amen. These Christians in Corinth made the arguments against God's minds and methods. And they held on to every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of the word of God, the truth of God's word. Nothing is more opposed to the spiritual wisdom of God than the wisdom of the flesh. Because it's run by the devil. And there's nothing more opposed to God's grace than man's natural ability. Just because you can do something in your natural ability doesn't mean it's God's grace. You know where God's grace kicks in, right? Just beyond yourself. Any of these things, strongholds, imaginations, lofty thoughts, emotions, any of these things that we refuse to deal with are the very things that will bring pressure on you in the days ahead. It's going to make things difficult in your life in the days ahead. It will cause your life to be hard to bear. In the last days, pressured, difficult, hard to bear times will come. Right from in here. Right from here. Nothing out there can affect you unless there's something going on in here. Amen. Satan's stronghold in our life, just like it was in the Corinthian church. And being saved for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years does not eliminate strongholds. You could be saved 50 years and still know nothing more than when you got saved 50 years ago. It's all about growth. Discipleship. I think we talked about that Wednesday night. It's all about being a disciple, growing, not just hearing, but doing. I hear it and I do it. Isn't that right? Taking every thought carnal. To battle against the carnal way of thinking and doing, our thoughts must be brought captive and made obedient to the word of God. Vengeance is mine. Oh, okay. That's what you said. I don't particularly like it, but that's what you said. So that's what I'm going to do. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. No, I like no control better. I don't want self-control. The fruit of the spirit is kind. Don't make me be kind to people. I'm just telling you from personal experience. 
But when those carnal thoughts come to you, and they come to all of us, they come to all of us. Nobody is exempt from this. Nobody's so holy that you don't get carnal thoughts. But when we start to think in this carnal way, the moment you recognize it, you got to stop it. And then you take dominion over it. And you make, with the pen of a ready writer, make decrees over them in the name of Jesus by the word of God. So when stuff comes to me, I mean, I do this, stuff comes to me, and I shouldn't be thinking that. I'm like, no, I am pulling down that stronghold. I am destroying that stronghold, pulling down an imagination. I'm not going to give myself to it. This is what the word of God says, and this is what I declare over it. I will crucify that thought with the word of God. Well, what if it comes back? Then do it again. Well, what if it comes back? Do it again. Well, how long do I have to do it? As long as it's coming back. The Bible says that the devil will leave you for an opportune time. So once he finally sees there's no opportunity, then he'll leave. That doesn't mean he'll never come back. He's going to wait till you get relaxed, start taking life for granted, and you get apathetic about stuff, and here he comes again. And then you're going to be like, oh, wait a minute, I said this the last time. But then you realize it don't work this time. Because yeah. it's not fresh. It's not faith. It's history. The just shall live by faith, not by history. That's good. Amen? Amen? So very simply, he's talking about changing our thoughts continuously, regularly, and consistently. And here's the thing about thoughts. Not every thought is your own. In fact, I'm going to dare to say most thoughts you have are not your own. Especially if you're a guy, because we live in that empty box. You know, unless we're actually working on some kind of a project or something, we're pretty much just like zoned. You know, my wife will talk to me and I'll be like, see, I hear echoes in my mind and then I'll catch the last part of the sentence. But I didn't hear the first part because I was in that empty box and all I had was this echo coming in. I knew there was some kind of incoming information coming, but I'm in that empty box. It takes me a while to catch up and go, what was that you said? She says, you have a problem hearing? No, no, I'm just uh, not really listening. I'm in my empty box. Hallelujah. But even though a lot of thoughts are not our own, we are not helpless victims or recipients of our thoughts. We're not helpless in this. They come at us. They attack us. But we can choose to stop our thoughts. We can choose to stop that emotion. We can choose to take control over it all and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, why do we have a wrong emotion? Because you have a wrong thought. You get that thought under control, the emotion gets under control. Amen. Amen. I mean, I used to live for vengeance against people. I loved it. I, I thought that was exciting. I just loved to see a plan come together. Well, once I found out that vengeance belonged to God, I had to start telling myself, vengeance is not mine. All of a sudden, the emotion that wanted to do what I used to do wasn't there anymore. So the emotion disappeared, but I still had to deal with that thought because that thought would come and you got to say, no, that's, that's not what we do. Isn't that right? right? Amen. So thoughts come to us. They could be thoughts about lust, anger, fear. 
greed, bitter thoughts, evil thoughts. They're a part of every thought that may be and must be brought into captivity to the obedience of the Word of God. It's in direct opposition to the free-thinking doctrine. I'm just a free thinker. No, no, no. The, 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 the principles of the Word of God goes directly opposite that. You're not a free thinker. Why? Because you're not your own. You're a slave, either of righteousness or a slave of sin. There is no in-between and you don't have your own way. What we choose to think is who we choose to serve. You know, I have people say to me a lot of times, you know, well, I don't know how to serve God. Start in your thinking. Get your thoughts in order. You serve God with your thoughts. Renewing our mind, which is our reasonable service and spiritual service of worship. Get your thoughts in order. It's a great way to serve God because your thoughts will affect your actions and then you'll start living the right way. Amen. Verse 6. And he says, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. He said, we are ready. That meant Paul. Paul was ready to confront and to pull down strongholds if the Corinthians would not do it. In other words, Paul, he was the apostle of that church. And he was ready to bring discipline among the troops. You know, sometimes the troops need some discipline. And when Jesus spoke to the pastors of the seven churches in the book of Revelation... He expected that that pastor would then bring that message that Jesus gave him of correction and discipline to those that needed it. He says, when your obedience is complete. So Paul sees no point in coming to the Corinthian church to confront disobedience until many have obeyed Jesus, having made up their minds to, to live right according to what he said. He said if you're not going to do this, then I'm not going to be bothered with you. You know, the Holy Spirit shares with me things that need to be taught, things that need to be confronted, things that need to bring forth training and discipline in the church. Now, as a point of comfort to you, he never mentions anybody's name. He doesn't even mention anybody's situations. He just, tells, he just says, this is the direction you need to go, and this is what you need to start teaching. And I learned this a long time ago. Years ago, I learned this. If people do not listen to the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the pulpit and take heed to what they hear, they'll never receive from somebody they consider to be a man sitting in front of them. Never. They never have. If they're not receiving from the anointing in the pulpit and deciding to change their life, they'll never receive from some person sitting in front of them. I don't care if I tell them that I had three witnesses, I had three angels, I had the Holy Spirit, and the 12 apostles come and tell me what to say. They still won't listen because they don't receive from the pulpit. Are you with me? Every time there was a confronting of sin or a confronting of disobedience, a confronting of lifestyle issues, it was totally rejected, justified, reasoned against, and given no heed to. So you might sit there and you might think, well, pastor never comes to me, so everything might be good. Well, that's not true. My job is up here. This is where we confront, teach, discipline, reprove, and train. 
Your spot out there is to give heed yes. and obey what you hear. Amen. All teaching, discipline, reproving, and training is accomplished from the pulpit under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And each of us, you know, we have guest speakers, I'm in the same position. But even when I teach, I'm in the same position of I have to listen to what's being taught. It is up to each of us as individuals to receive what's being declared. And you probably know this. This is an open class. Just imagine if every seat was filled in here. This is an open classroom. Remember the old schools where you had open classroom? One class was first grade, one room, first grade to, say, eighth grade in one classroom, right? So not everything that you hear applies to every person. There's people here, there's people on live stream around the world, wherever they might be. So not everything applies to every person. But it is the individual's responsibility before God to be open to the Holy Spirit and have honest evaluation of their own condition and what needs to be changed. And we can only do that as individuals. And even as a spouse. You know, I do not tell my wife things about stuff that maybe I think she needs to change until she comes and asks me or talks to me about stuff. And the same thing. She doesn't come to me and go, what was that bonehead thing you did yesterday? What the heck is wrong? You know, she doesn't do that usually. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. But if I come to her and talk to her about something, you know, then she has the right to then talk to me. It's kind of like being in the military. You never spoke to the DI. You stood there at attention, and the DI comes walking by you. You don't have any right to say anything. But I remember one time we were standing in attention, and he passed by somebody. He goes, so what do you think? And the guy thought, he asked me, I'm going to tell him. And he did. He told him because he asked him. I don't remember how it went for that guy. But <laughs> he did tell him because he, he said he asked me, so I'm, I'm telling him. <laughs> Every person is to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pull down the stronghold, cast off the imaginations, remove every lofty thinking and emotion, and take their thoughts captive. We are not our own. We are sons of God, but we are slaves of righteousness. Isn't that right? Amen. 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 One last verse. Psalm 112 in verse 7. Psalm 112, 7. We'll close here. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Amen. He'll not fear evil. Won't fear it. Don't matter what he hears. Doesn't matter what's coming across the TV. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter what they're declaring. Ugh, doesn't matter. I don't fear evil tidings. My heart's steadfast. I trust in the Lord. Whether they're yakking evil or whether they're not yakking evil. It doesn't matter what the yakety yak is going on out there. I'm trusting in the Lord. That's right. My heart's steadfast. I'm not on the roller coaster anymore. Thank you, Lord. I'm on a steady ride and it's all going upward. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, look at it in the Passion Translation. It says, they, they will not live in fear or dread of what may come, for their hearts are firm, even secure in their faith. 
They'll not live in fear or dread of what might come. Oh, did you hear that? Did you hear about what's going on? Oh, what do you think is going to happen over there? See, you, you are bringing yourself down a road that opens the door to fear and to dread. When actually it should be, it doesn't matter what they're saying and what they're thinking. Let me tell you what the Word of God says. This is the Word of God, and this is what we're secure in. Amen. Let me read to you from the New Jerusalem Bible. It says, bad news holds no fear for him, firm in his heart, trusting Yahweh. Bad news holds no fear for him. No fear. No fear. You know, there's many times, I think I've told you this, there's many times I've had to believe God in certain areas, and the thought would come, I might die, but I will never lose. I will always win. I might die, but I'll always win. So let's just bring it on. That would always be my attitude all the time. Bring it on. Amen. See, now, to some folks, that's pretty radical to say that. Well, which life do you really uh, value more? You know, I've said this many times. I'd rather die in faith than live another day in unbelief. If, I, if I'm pressing forward in faith, but I can't seem to get there, then let me go on. Because I'd rather die working faith than to live in unbelief. Amen. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you don't have. It doesn't matter about how many houses you have or if you even have a house. It doesn't matter about what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear. It has nothing to do with it. It's all temporal. It's all passing away. And they're nothing but tools for the kingdom. You know, it was a privilege to be able to go over to Miami. And, you know, some people came and they bought product, but then there were those that the Lord said, sow this into their ministry. You know, and Pastor Ned would sow things into people's ministries. Amen. Bad news holds no fear for him. He's firm in his heart, that spirit and soul, firm in his heart, trusting Yahweh. The more we work with and deal with the things that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us about in these Sunday services, the more Psalm 112.7 will become a reality in your life. That you will not fear. That you'll become more stable. You'll become more steady. Glory to God. You'll, have be, you'll be firm in your heart without any doubt, without any worry, without any... Now, when I say not any worry, I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, God will take care of it. I'm not worried about it. No, that, that's a lackadaisical, apathetic, no go, going no place attitude. This is about I stand up with the yeah. word of God. I'm walking in the truth. I got the breastplate of righteousness on. I have the shoes of stability in my life. I've got that shield of faith that I stand behind. I've got that helmet of a renewed mind on me. And I've got my sword of the spirit, that word of God in my heart and in my mouth. And I'm ready to deal that death blow to the devil. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Pressure times are ahead in the world, but how will we live? What will be the condition of our soul as we face the future, as we face distresses in the world? I mean, every time we mention about pressure times are coming, I can see it within you. <gasps> pressure times are coming, difficult times. See, but why? 
Why? Why are you living in the fear or dread? Because the word of God is not a reality in your life. The word of God has to become the reality of life. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will never pass away. It is the only reality in all of creation, the word of God. Amen. We can live fear-free. We can live firm. We can live secure in our God, having our thoughts, having our emotions stable, having them on solid ground, unshaken and secure in faith. Praise God. He is our God. Yes. Is God your God? Yes. He is God most high. Yes. Glory to God. Is he a real God to you? Yes. The only way you can know is through his word. What he says. What he thinks. So we can think the same. We can say the same. And our tongue will write those things on our heart. And our tongue will sign the decree against our enemy. And just like in the old days, remember, just, just close with this. Remember Daniel, before he went into the lion's den, they tricked the king into sign, signing about anybody that prays uh, against, uh, prays to anybody other than the God of, of Babylon. And the king would take his ring, and with that signet ring, that was his signing of the ring. Okay? We now use pens, and it's the tongue is the pen, and I sign that decree. I put the signet ring insignia on that decree, and that's what it's going to be, because I'm the king. This is my domain, and that's how it's going to be. And anybody that goes against that is going to have to bow their knee, or they're going to die in battle. you got to take that action. you got to take that attitude, and you've got to bring that into reality in your own life. Not against flesh and blood. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about dealing with that unseen enemy. And you do it by faith. Divinely powerful weapons. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all the adoration. For you alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you that your word has gone forth, whether in this room, on live stream, on podcast, wherever it may be listened to. And I thank you, Lord, that your word goes forth with power. Yes. Word goes forth with your anointing that we can receive from your word. We can take that word into us. We can meditate it, ponder it, think about it, that we can reckon it, consider it. And I thank you for Lord God that it changes the way we think that it changes our emotions, it changes our life, because we will not take on that old way of thinking. We'll not allow those old emotions to rule us, but we'll take your word and we'll speak it over those emotions. We'll speak it over that thinking, and we'll write it on our heart so that we'll think new things, and new things will take place in our life because we have new considerations, we have new things that we ponder, new things that we reckon, and new things, Lord, that we reason with, and it's called reasoning on and through and by your word only. We thank you for it. We bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah.
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you with our giving, with our tithes, with our offerings, Father. And I thank you for the promises that you've attached to it, Father, that whether it is tithes, there's promises. Whether it's first fruits, there's promises. Whether it's seed sowing, it's promises, Father. When we give alms, Father, it is, there's promises attached to it. And I thank you for it, Lord, that we can plant our seed correctly. We can give according to your word, and we can believe, Father, rightly as your word declares promises for that form of giving. So we thank you for it, and we bless you that you are not a man that you would lie, but every word of yours is purest of truth, and when we stand on it in faith, it will become a reality in our life. We thank you and bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us again on live stream, a podcast. Glad that you could be with us today. And uh, if you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. I do pray that the Word of God has really touched you to where you can see there's changes that need to be made. Changes are not bad. Changes are good. Changes is the doorway into a greater and better life that God has planned for you. Amen. Amen, amen.